Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to find your way back to, we've been there three, three of my teachings at least in a row in Matthew 13. We're going to finish that up today. But I'm going to ask you to, to find your way to Matthew 13. But I'm going to ask you to also do this. Around your table, uh, if you're into antiques, so I know Marlene is into antiques um, because I see her postings where she's found some good thing and says, here, here, come get it. Uh, um, if you're able to go to your favorite antique emporium what would you be looking for first now while you're talking about that around your table i'm going to tell you what rondo's always looking for first okay i've been to more antique stores than i care to remember in the last year and i'm going to tell you what she's looking for first by the way she lives with an antique so that's part of the deal okay so talk about that about if, if you're looking for something old what would it be what would you look for first talk about that around your table for a minute okay all right. Okay, so I'm curious what you're looking for when you go. Wayne, what are you looking for when you go? Uh -huh. So you're not looking for an antique closet auger or something like that, okay? I see one every time I look in the mirror. You see an antique when you look in the mirror. Or I'm gonna, to, to prime the pump, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't have to ask Rhonda. I know what she's looking for in every antique store in the land. She's looking for the coveted five-inch jadeite swirl mixing bowl. Some really, some really loving guy bought her the three larger ones for Christmas one year. I found a deal on them and bought them and it made her really happy. And ever since then, she's been discontent <laughs> because she doesn't have the little one that nests inside the three others. Anyway, so, uh, and occasionally she'll be on her phone at night and I'll hear her say something along the lines of, dadgummit, and it's, it's because somebody else has found one and it wasn't her. So, okay. So if you find one, text me, okay? If it's inside of a thousand dollars, we'll talk. Okay, so, yeah. All right. What What's your favorite thing, old thing to look for, Allie? Um, those porcelain uh, masks. Oh yeah. Those porcelain mask. I was at a place in Venice where that kind of they had a whole shop of those things. It was It was a little spooky, really. You know, they kinda, they, they, they do that. Anybody else got something really interesting you look for? Joe, you probably look for old guns. Okay. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. Okay. Katie, what do you look for? Large uh, cast iron pots and pans. Really? Or different size skillets. But the Lodge brand is the brand you're looking for. Okay. Rhonda's dad got into a thing where he was looking for cast iron pots and pans all the time. And um, uh, with Wagner, was that the brand? Uh, anyway, isn't it funny how you get into certain things that you collect? Uh, you can help me with one. I've got, I have a collection of, uh, do what? Oh, I do collect, I do, do collect uh, Victor coffee mugs. But, but uh, the other thing I've got, um, and I've almost got, almost got my collection complete. I have a collection of um, uh, Corvette Hot Wheels cars. But I still need a C3 and a C4. Can't find one. I've got all the others, including an 8, but I don't have a C3 and C4. 
Anyway, so one of the days, one of these days, those will get parked on because I have my other one. All right, so I want to tell you a little bit of a story about a guy who um, was somewhat into antiques. He went to the Antiques Roadshow. You know what that is? Okay. I, I'm not sure I completely understand how that thing works, but uh, he met with an expert. He had an old violin in a case, and he was quite certain that it was worth a fortune. And um, uh, the description on um, it, it had been in his family for years. It had a label inside it that said 1519. So he was sure it was worth a lot of money. By the way, in, um, in uh, Italy, we saw some original. Is it Stradivarii or is it Stradivariuses? Okay, so we saw some violins by Stradivarius. That's what we saw. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, th this thing, uh, it had it even had an ornate painting on the back of it, and it had the, um, uh, the peg box. At the end of the peg box, it had a detailed carving of a bearded man's head instead of just a scroll work there. So he was quite sure that this thing was worth a fortune. Um, and so um, he gives it to the guy, look over, and he, oh, this is interesting. He says, well, it, it is quite old, but... Um, he recognized it being from a, uh, a kind of a glitzy French uh, violin shop. Um, and it was, it, it, since it was old and of pretty good quality, he said, that's oh, worth three or 4,000 bucks. And the guy was really disappointed. But he happened to have it in a case. And in the case was a bow, violin bow. Now, the bow, it's interesting. I just kind of worked on Heather's old violin for our granddaughter Violet, and when I took it out, the, the violin was okay, and they kind of reconditioned it, but they said the bow is pretty worthless. In this case, the guy looked at the bow who had not a hair on it. It needed to be rehaired. And um, uh, he looked at the bow, and he said, oh, wait a minute. He appraised the bow at $14,000, $15,000. It was rare. Uh, made by the French master craftsman Eugene Sartory. Um, the man had a treasure without realizing it. He thought the violin was going to be worth money. It was actually the bow that was worth more money. In fact, recently, uh, in 2017, one of those bows so sold for $214,000. Just the bow. Wow. Isn't it interesting what we treasure and what we think things are worth? So the, Jesus is going to teach us about that. Now, what I want to talk about a little bit here is um, we're going to get into four, if you, I think you'll think there are four, parables of Jesus, rapid fire. One of the challenges we have in any of these stories is uh, what we might call um, the gap between the two horizons, between first horizons of the historical context in the New Testament when it was written, and the second horizon is a modern context in which we live, and we're trying to kind of bring those two in sync here. And uh, so we need to consider what first century people valued, and uh, and uh, as they accumulated wealth, were able to do that kind of thing. Um, in the ancient world, for instance, a, a person's wealth was recognized in terms of physically possessing something, um, gold or silver or precious metal, um, uh, maybe even livestock. If you can read about 
Uh, you can read about Jacob in the book of Genesis. He became quite wealthy, but his wealth was in uh, uh, sheep and goats. Uh, and he had a lot of them. He was very good with husbandry and that, that kind of thing. But um, uh, today, a person's wealth might be uh, more valued in terms of a stock portfolio or maybe real estate or uh, something like that. Maybe it would be um, a piece of property owned or several pieces of property owned. Uh, so the challenge that we have is to interpret uh, uh what's going on in the New Testament to best determine the proper and valid application. We've got to see things through the lens of the original ancient uh, audience. In fact, uh, if somebody had accumulated lots of precious metal in those days, um, they might hide them somewhere or they might just carry them on themselves. Might carry them with them all the time. So, kind of kind of catch that. Now, um, what we're going to deal with today is um, uh, we've done three lessons on the parables of Jesus just from, from Matthew 13. And, but there are four of them here. Uh, the others have been longer. These are really um, kind of short. And it makes, leads me to the point of asking the question, do you suppose if Jesus were here today, he would tweet? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I will say this. On the stories that we're going to look at today, um, uh, uh, the uh, limit of a tweet is 280 characters. That includes spaces. Uh, in the stories we're going to look at today, in the New International Version, the first one has 163 characters, including spaces. The second one has 161 characters. Um, the, the parable of the net has 252 characters. And the very last one has 176 characters. So they would all fit within a tweet. Wouldn't that be interesting to know? Would Jesus use this crazy technology? I don't know, but it, it makes my sixth sense of humor wonder, you know. Okay, so, so these four that we're going to look at today, in the last one you may say, that's not, really a, that's not really a parable. I think it kind of is. But uh, when, the, when we look at them, all four of them are only included in Matthew. They're not included somewhere else. And so we're going to read them and kind of take them apart a little bit and see what we can learn about the value of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Steve, uh, actually, I'm going to ask you to read the whole section. So start with 44 and go all the way down to 52 in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the, on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where they will, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, 
Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Okay, so let's look at the first tweet parable. All right. Now, this one's interesting because it's one verse only, verse 45. Okay, only one verse. Uh, and it has to do with agriculture in some ways. So the word that is, that is translated in verse 45, uh, uh, in verse 44, sorry, that is translated field is the word agros. That makes kind of some sense, doesn't it? So they're in an uh, um, uh, agricultural economy. And so the, the picture is, and by the way, I, I love the economy of words in this. Jesus paints a picture in one verse. It's in one verse in our, in, in our English Bibles. It's in one verse. And he leaves it up to you and I to fill in all the gaps, all the details. So quite simply, it sounds like to me that the man in verse 44 is Jed Clampett. <laughs> Now, the only difference between this story and Jed Clampett is Jed Clampett already owned the property upon which he was hunting. And if you remember, and up from the ground come a bubble and crude, okay? <laughs> Oil, that is, black old Texas tea, okay, that, that thing. He happened on it, but it was on his property. In this story, verse 44, it was not his property, but he stumbled over something. Now, it was not uncommon in Jesus' day, for somebody to take their accumulated wealth and literally bury it in the backyard. Now, this was probably not their yard. It was probably a field. It was probably the back 40, uh, an acreage of some kind. Um, and evidently, uh, the person who owned the field had buried that back there and had just kind of forgotten about it. And the person in, our, in Jesus' story in verse 44 literally stubbed his toe on it, stumbled upon it. So what did he do? He liquidated, uh, literally sold everything he had because he knew what was in that field. Now, according to... Um, uh, according to, um, and by the way, somebody go to 1927. John, can I get you to go to 1927? We'll pick that up in just a minute. Um, according to Jewish law, it would have been theft for the man to take what, the treasure in the field and keep it. Uh, that was not finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That was not Jewish law. Okay. Jewish law was, though, that... Whoever owned the property owned the treasure. But evidently, the treasure had been forgotten. So the man decided, I'm going to liquidate, take everything I have, and buy that. John, read 1927. Peter answered him. We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? What did Peter say? Uh, boss, talking to Jesus? I uh, just need to remind you, sir, we've left everything. We've left everything to follow you. Uh, evidently, according to Peter, 
The kingdom of God is worth the cost. Uh, the reward is worth the sacrifice. And Jesus uses this tweet parable, one verse, to say it's kind of like this. Now, my favorite is found in verse 45 and 46. It involves a pearl. A pearl. Um, I, I find this really interesting. Um, uh, evidently, uh, pearls were rare in Jesus' day, or at least fine ones were rare in Jesus' day. And, you, and uh, to a degree, uh, you couple that with the fact that, that shellfish weren't on the menu for a Jewish person. Clams, oysters, that, they weren't allowed to eat that. So, uh, it, it's when they couldn't have a pearl, they just couldn't eat the oyster. I, you know, so, but that would make it even more rare, right? And evidently the person in our story, verse 40, uh, 45 and 46, is a merchant who understands what this is they have found. You, you understand that? It's like the antique roadshow guy. He knew what the violin was worth, and he also knew what the bow was worth. Uh, would somebody go, Sally, can I get you to go to Revelation 21, 21? A merchant thus engaged agrees to take great risk in order, in hopes of gaining great reward. Uh, uh, this pearl would be rare in Jesus' day, but uh, this man was a pearl merchant. Merchant, He knew. He was an expert. Now, I, I just want to bring out one verse that Sal's going to read in a second to talk to you about. Is, I think it's interesting. In, in uh, John's description of heaven, he talks about a great pearl. Uh, read 2121, 21, Sal. Twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. Great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Isn't it interesting that when John talks about what heaven will look like when you get there, and, and by the way, he was limited by human terms. The best imagery he could come up with was each of the gates looks like a big old pearl. I, I find that really interesting. Evidently, they were fascinated with pearls, and this merchant in the story would understand what a great value of a pearl would be. Now, it, this, what, what I've kind of been led to believe over the years is thinking about well, this thing must have been the size of a, a you know, of a ball bearing. But no, it, it's not necessarily as big, although it may have been. It was just fine. Fine. A pearl of great price. I, did you just love that phrase? In fact, I'll occasionally ask somebody, in context, what is your pearl of great price? I can't answer that for you. But I think Jesus might ask you that question too. What is your pearl of great price? When I ask that question, what am I implying? You may want to venture a shot over that bow. Yeah, Allie. Uh, Jesus coming to save us? Certainly for many of us, it's the fact that the pearl of great price is Jesus and his, his saving power in my life. Oh, the pearl of great price would 
Jesus is us. Amen. Great thought, Michael. You're right. He gave all he had for you because he valued you that much. It, what a wonderful thought. Now, now, so this merchant agrees to take a great risk because he knows if he does, there's a great reward coming. So in verse 46, the merchant, like the merchant, like the uh, person, Jed Clampett in verse 44, in verse 45 and 46, the merchant sold out. Look at 1344. This is, this is meant to be, um, uh, this is meant to be a connection here in some ways. So we, we looked at this one last week, but in verse 44, um, um, actually looked at it just a minute ago. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So you need to think about in verse 44 and again in verse 46, what did it cost? It literally cost everything those two persons had. And in this case, he found one pearl and he just had to have it. So he sold out to get it. In order to do that, he may have had to let go of other pearls. Think about that for just a minute. He certainly would have, uh, if he owned livestock, if he owned cattle, if he owned uh, camels. Maybe he was traveling on a camel. Maybe he had a saddlebag on his camel or his donkey that was filled with other pearls. Because remember, he was a pearl merchant. And he hastened to sell all of that. Why? Because he found the one pearl. Uh, what Jesus calls here. Uh, the one. The pearl of great price. So think about, don't answer it out loud, but think about it for a minute. What all did he give up to get this one thing? And what did he gain? kind of the question that's a little bit left at least in Jesus' description of this. Rhonda and her dad went years ago to, I think it was this place, I read this story about this, Crater of Diamond State Park in Arkansas. Uh, you'll have to ask her the stories up to your neck in mud. It, it, is this, did I find a diamond here or not? Anyway, uh, I don't think you came back and had a new ring made or anything, did you? Um, um, anyway, it's, it's uh, one of the few places where people can keep what they find. So in May of 2021, a guy by the name of Christian Leiden uh, brought his homemade mining equipment and searched the crater. On the third day, he found a 2.2 carat diamond. Now, I hesitate to say this because she's going to want to go back. Uh, he was so excited when he found it that he asked his buddy that was with him to pick it up for him because his hands were shaking so much he was afraid he'd, he'd drop it or, or, or miss it somewhere. Um, but for that day, Actually, for two or three days, Mr. Lydon had a singular focus. 
He wanted a big old diamond. He found one. Um, so the man in our story, verse 45 and 46, at some point had to say to himself, I can't either sell out and buy the pearl or not. Just let it go. And he decided to buy the pearl. Now, uh, you heard um, Steve read a little bit ago, beginning of verse 47. There's a third parable here. It's kind of interesting. It's about, uh, uh, it's, it's about fishing. It's about fishing. And if you look at verse 47, it begins here. It's a dragnet. So the, the idea is this is, not, um, this is not Bass Pro. This is not um, using the latest lure technology and the greatest fishing line. This is a net, a dragnet, it's called in my translation of the Bible, a dragnet that is cast into the sea or into the lake and it, uh, it brings back um, all kinds of things, including a great um, kind of a, a, a great um, catch of fish. Now, I want us to look at a couple places here. Um, Who go to 418 and read Matthew 418? Allie, if you'd go there, and then I need somebody to go way back over the Old Testament to Leviticus 11 and read 9 through 12. Cindy, if you'll do that, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Now, so, um, uh, the men that Jesus is talking to knew commercial fishing. How do we know that? Well, when they were called, many of them were engaged in commercial fishing. Allie, read Matthew 4.18. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Okay, so... Peter, James, and John, some of the others were engaged in commercial fishing. They knew all about that. And this was the method they used. They would cast in a net and they would indiscriminately uh, pull their catch to shore. Um, uh, in John 21, there's a really interesting story post-resurrection. But I get the sense in that one that there was no calls. Everything was kept. What was it? 153 fish, I think, that something like that, that were, that were brought in. Okay, um, uh, so, um, but I want you to read about this. Cindy's going to read from, from uh, Leviticus 11, the kinds of things that you could eat if you're a Jewish person, if you're Peter, James, and John. Uh, read 9 down through 12, Cindy. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales, but all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are not to you are to regard as unclean. And since you are to regard them as unclean, you must not eat their meat. You must regard their carcasses as unclean. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded as unclean by you. I want you to catch this. So in the story that Jesus tells. They bring in the net. It's full of stuff, but there's some stuff they can't eat. It, if you're a fan of this, it might surprise you to know 
that they couldn't eat crab of any kind. They couldn't eat, if they found a Maine lobster in the net, they couldn't eat it. They had to throw it back. Unlikely they would find a Maine lobster in the Sea of Galilee, but okay. <laughs> I want you to catch one. If, if Somebody correct me. If, I'll get email on this. That's okay. Uh, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. Walter, catfish is not included in the list of stuff they could eat. Uh, what would you and I do, man? My, maybe the only fish I eat is catfish. Okay? So they would sort through them. Now, my wife practices catch and release. In fact, it got so bad. We were, we were looking at um, the Ponte Rialto in, um, in Venice. And right underneath, kind of adjacent to the Ponte Rialto, which is the most famous bridge over, uh, over the, uh, the canal in Venice. There is a fish market there, and she decides to go buy a fish. And so she buys this fish in the fish market. But forgetting where she was, she let it go because she practices catch and release. Yeah, no, that didn't really happen, but okay, you get, get my point. So they sort good and bad, what I can eat and what I can't eat. And what happens with the stuff that they can't eat? It just goes away. It, it's not even catch and release, throw it back in. It, it's, I'm taking the good and I'm leaving the bad behind. Now, it's intended here. Only good and what I, the reason I had Cindy read from Leviticus 11, only good and clean fish could be kept. The catfish were thrown away. Maybe the cat ate them. The dogs. So as you read verse 49 and 50, there's a connection that's supposed to be made here between what we read today and what we read last time. If you look at verse thir uh, chapter 13, verse 40, you remember uh, um, in the story of the, of the weeds and the wheat, at the end of all, they were just separated and some were burned up and the wheat was kept. Remember that? Studied that last, last week? Um, uh, what I've got to catch here is that this, this story is about final judgment and eternal destiny. Uh, I put, the, I put uh, verse 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 30 in there, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, right at the end of Jesus' um, uh, earthly ministry. And he talks about there, he talks about the sheep being separated from the goats, and he talks about this weeping and gnashing of teeth thing that he talks about here. I won't unpack that, maybe you can. But notice that um, he says here, at the end of the age, we're talking about what comes later. We're talking about kind of what happens at the end of it all uh, here. Um, uh, so will it be, verse 49, at the end of the age. And again, like it was in the earlier story, the angels will kind of sort things out. I find that interesting. So... Um, uh, when we get there, uh, when we get to verse 21, uh, he says to them, what an incredible question. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And I think that was a little cocky. 
Because I'm not sure I understand it. And they had just heard it. And I've got the Holy Spirit. And while he was alive within the body of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, they didn't get him full time till after Acts 2, right? And I'm not sure I completely get this. But I do get this, okay? When he says, do you understand all these things? All these things includes at least three lessons. Here we go. If I don't get any further, I'll get here. You ready? That which is valuable will cost much. It will cost much. Um, in fact, in the, in the stories, all they have. Uh, it seems pretty clear to me that the second message is the reward is much greater, though, than the cost. If you look at the first two tweets. And there's a warning. What if, what if you don't sell out to buy what's important? Uh, in verse 52, he kind of closes with another little parable within all these parables. And it, it's kind of the most, it, it, one of the most interesting things to understand in this whole thing. But he's basically talking about the old in every, in every scribe to become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Uh, the old is the law. The new is the gospel. And for those who have caught both of those, he says, your treasure in that ought to be on display. Is this a fourth tweet? Maybe so. In my house, there are lots of treasures on display. I love that about you and the way you decorate. There are things that we have found in some little antique place somewhere that gets, uh, there, was a, there was a thing that we were looking at this week saying, okay, where's the best place to put that? Because it's a treasure. In the final analysis, Steve? it may all boil down to how much you value, how much I value the kingdom of God. I got a Interesting, Rhonda had a text exchange last night with a friend in uh, Marque, in central Italy, uh, that we saw while we were gone. Didn't get to see her enough, but saw her for a few minutes. And then, um, I, I, I haven't even told you about this. You remember my phone made a noise when we were coming up? That was Dr. Grumman. He was checking in. Uh, a friend who had been in the Alps drove down to to give us a tour of uh, the Milan Duomo, which was just a wonderful three-hour experience. Uh, he teaches at the, at the Catholic University in Milan. And uh, he just said, hope you guys made it home okay. Uh, it was great to meet you. Uh, God bless you. And it just, it, what a dear uh, new friend. But he, I would have missed this. As we were going around the Milan in, in uh the Duomo in Milan, up, up toward the front of, of the uh, east nave. There was a statue there that looked kind of gross, but you just didn't really think a whole lot about it to, until uh, Dr. Grimo told us what we were looking at. It was a statue, and I forget done by who, some great master. There were 3,400 statues in this building and on top of this building. It's kind of crazy. But this one was remarkable. I took a picture of it. Maybe I'll get to show it to you someday. 
It was a, it was a, a statue of Nathaniel. Uh, it says underneath it, Bartholomew. Uh, Bartholomew. He goes by both of those names. If you remember, he was one, if you're watching The Chosen, he was one that was kind of brought to the table by Philip. He was a friend of Philip. Um, uh, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, um, uh, was among the other things we were reading about him this weekend. He, he was really handsome. He may have been the most handsome of all the twelve. But this statue of him is kind of hideous. Why? Because he was an effective preacher. And the kingdom of Armenia, which was where kind of his mission field was, he was a, so effective as a preacher that uh, he um, uh, was able to convert to Christianity uh, the king and his wife. But the pagans in the area, the priests of the small g gods in that area, didn't like that because it threatened to shut them down. And so they had him flayed. You may not want to look that word up. They literally peeled the skin off of him and then cut his head off. So the statue of Bartolomeo in the Milan Duomo, you can see exposed muscular and blood vessels. So, Dr. Grimmel, what are we looking at here? He said, well, you remember, tradition has it that he was, his skin was removed as a torture. And the great master depicts him here as without skin. But Nathaniel had the audacity to believe that it was worth the price. <laughs> All 12 of them, including Matthias. Uh, you could say, well, John didn't die a cruel death. You know what, though? John survived boiling in oil is how he died an old man's death. I, how do you do that? He was poisoned at one time. Survived that. All of them gave dearly and paid the price. Because they had found the pearl. The pearl. I, I just want to leave you with this from this little mini-series that we've been in. I, I really believe in the final analysis, it may all boil down to how much do you value the kingdom of God? Have you sold out? I'll leave you with that one. And we'll launch into... A new series Sunday after next, okay? I'll see you. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend.